Our uh, study passage today is from the book of Galatians in the New Testament, chapter 3, um, verse 23 through chapter 4, verse 7. Galatians is one of those letters of Paul, one of the many that he wrote that is probably somewhere in the least easy to understand. It has a very specific purpose. Paul wrote that letter to Jewish Christians, uh, Jewish Christians who were still trying to incorporate a lot of the Old Testament rules and regulations, which he in general refers to as the law. It had more to do with than just the Ten Commandments. I mean, it had to do with rituals and circumcision and a whole bunch of stuff like that. And they were trying to incorporate that as demands to new Christians, especially, well, actually Jews and Gentiles who came into the faith. And Paul was trying to explain to them that, in a sense, the, the law has taken all of that second place to faith. Faith was always there, but now much more clearly, Jesus having come and lived his life and taught and died and rose again and ascended to heaven, and he's, he's just trying to tell them that is really our focus. The law still has its place. Um, I think good Reformed theology says the law is a revealer of sin, you know, our need for Christ, and is a guide for our daily lives, uh, especially the Ten Commandments part of that, what the Jews called the law, but the law never could save, and, and Paul wants to make that clear. Nobody could ever really obey it perfectly. It, it could not do Even Abraham, according to Romans 3 and 4, was justified by his faith, by his belief in God, even, even without the knowledge of Jesus and how all that was going to work out. Uh, that, was, that was the basis of his salvation. And, and Paul's just trying to make that clear. He approaches it from a number of different angles, one might say, you know, a number of different things as he's, as he's trying to share that with them, but um, ours has just a few of those. We're going to begin reading in uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 23, and Paul writes these words. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in, he calls it custody, as it were, in a good custody in many ways. We were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified then by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under that guardian. So, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. That's like a key sentence right there. Just grab that and hold on to it. For all of you who were baptized, who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. You're, you're covered with that now. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. We don't talk about slave or free, male or female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, and you are heirs according to God's promise. Isn't that a beautiful text? Maybe I'll just preach on that this morning. I don't know. Huh? There's not those divisions anymore. We are all one in Christ. And then chapter 4. What I'm saying is almost okay. Let me, let me kind of get at it again. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave. Although he does really own the whole estate, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were, as it were, under age, we were in, in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. And now our text. 
But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. And then again now, because you are his sons and his daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father, so we can do that now too. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir, an heir of all things. Let's just, again, pray for a moment, shall we? Again, Lord God, put your hand upon us now. We're, we have a tendency to get distracted. We have a tendency to think about how things are going or not going. And Lord, we would be open to, to what you're doing, to your spirit. Guide us and bless that, overcome our weaknesses. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Anyway, before that happened, <laughs> it was probably, uh, probably 1959 or maybe it was in 1960, I can't remember. We moved to Arizona in 1960, and I think it was in the year before that. I was living with my parents on a little farm about halfway between Knoxville and Oskaloosa. You've probably heard of those towns a little bit. My grandfather had an even littler farm about a half mile down the road. So it was somewhere around 1960. I was 14 years old, and we were sitting in my grandpa's house on a very hot summer day. And my dad and he were sharing a beer. My, my grandpa came to America um, by way of a five-year stop in Borneo. I think that was a Dutch province at the time, and there he learned to make beer, I guess. And so, so every spring he'd make about 50 bottles, and that would last him and neighbors and, and the local preacher through, through the summer for a cool drink every now and then. And just as an aside, I can remember my dad in those days, they'd be sharing a little glass about like that, and my dad would give me the glass once in a while and say, here, you want to try a sip? And I'd try a sip, and then they'd both look at me like, did you like it? Well, I wasn't the brightest kid in the neighborhood, but I knew enough to say no, <laughs> which seemed to really please them. So, um, and that happened, I'm sure, that day. I don't remember specifically, but I can, you can almost kind of count on that. So, so there we were all together, and my grandpa got into, he was in his mid-80s by then, and he got into a very common kind of discussion Basically, he was moaning or bemoaning the future that his children and especially his grandchildren are going to be given or raised in. I think he would start sometime with Elvis Presley <laughs> and rock and roll and how he moved his hips and stuff like that. I'm not sure my grandpa ever saw him, but he, he thought he knew that and Oh, he would, he would talk about, and now he, he because I did it, I, I had a transistor radio in my pocket with a 9-volt battery. Now I could listen to that trash, he said. You know, as I was walking down the road, I didn't have to be in a house or in a car or anything like that. And he, he was kind of bemoaning that. And uh, the Russians, I think, in 57 had put Sputnik up. And that was there, and so we were in the atomic age, of course, since World War II, and 
Now they call it a space race, and now it was a Cold War, and I can remember very clearly in grade school, about twice a year we'd have to get under our desks, kind of a See the nods out there, you know? I think about every semester, just in case there was an atomic attack, that was going to somehow help us, right? And, and we would have to do that uh, every so often and those kind of things. And then he'd talk about the, the stuff on TV and the violence and the hairdos of people nowadays and, and the dancing and the movies, how bad they were getting. And he was right to some degree, though I don't think he ever really saw a movie. And uh, it would go on and on. His concern was for us, for his grandchildren. What was going to happen? What did the future hold? What, what was going to happen to people in the world and, and the world that his children lay, lived in? Huh? If only he had known some of the stuff that was going to happen. It's probably better that he did not know what was going to happen to the culture. huh? In the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and what was going to happen to music, and the movies, and the politics, and the morals, and... It was, he was right. It was going to continue to deteriorate. I, I think it hit me real hard when, um, oh, I'm thinking about the, somewhere in the mid-80s, my wife and I were doing church planting in Las Vegas, Nevada. And so one time we decided to go to a show downtown on the Strip, as they called it, just to see what those were like. It, was, it had to do with some singing and a comedian. And we paid pretty good money for that. And 20 minutes later, we got up and walked out. And I was raised in coal mining country. I spent four and a half years in the Air Force. I went to Arizona State University. I, I was not raised in a church basement. I could handle loss. I could not abide what was going on in that show about God and, and just the language and, and the stuff they were doing. And, and Grandpa was right. It took a while to get to that point, but... But it's better that Grandpa didn't see it all. We've come to the point, I think, in today's world, at least I have, where I'm basically unshockable. I, you just run through your TV channels and, and see the stuff that's there, and you just kind of go on to the next thing because of what's going on and what they're saying and how they're saying it. We don't look. Uh, we don't think about it. We don't listen. We don't participate. We're unshockable. But Grandpa's question is still there. What's going to happen? What's, what's, what's going to occur, even now yet, in the future? I've been retired from ministry 10 years, and, and for some reason, when I guest preach somewhere and get to talking with people, I more often get the question, what's going to happen to the church, Pastor John? You know, especially after the you know, the coronavirus, or the one we're still in, I guess, in a real way, and some of the things that have happened in the two generations now that aren't attending like they used to, and you watch, you watch church, and you see a lot of gray sitting in the church, and a lot of, not a whole lot of, of younger callers, and I get again and again, for some reason, they ask me, what's going to happen to the church in the next number of years? Is it, is it going to even be here, or is it, what's it going to look like in 30 years? 20 or 10 or 5 years, especially now. What is going to happen? I'm here to tell you this morning, to share with you this morning, <clears throat> I don't know. And I'm here to tell you, to remind you and myself that God absolutely does. Amen. That God absolutely 
knows what's going to happen to the world and the church and you and me and our kids and our grandkids. God really does have that in his hands. It really is under his control. And for some reason, in the, somewhere in this past spring, I've kept hearing the statement, somebody saying, I've got this. You know, maybe you're picking up, somebody's picking up a check at the restaurant or something like that, or, or they're covering something that broke in the home. They say, hey, I've got this. Don't worry about it. I hear God say that. I hear God say, especially in my weakest moments and in my greatest anxiety, I hear God say, I've got this. God says, don't worry. He says by his word and spirit to you and me, don't fret. No, don't doubt. Know this for sure. The church, its structure, even the world and its culture. I've got this, God says. Consider history. You know, if we had been outside the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were shown the door, I, I can imagine a little bit, maybe, them saying, now what? We've been cursed and you know, the pain of childbirth and the, the work of my hands and all that kind of stuff is, is, is going to happen and everything has changed. And, and God had his promise because God says, I've got this. Just, just trust me. And then I think of Abraham. God said to Abraham, hey, Abraham, get up and leave everything familiar all that you know, and probably a whole lot of what you have, though he took some of that with, and go to this other place that I'm going to show you that you know nothing about, and you don't know the people there, and you don't know what's going to happen. Just go there and take care of it. And Abraham must have wondered what. You can hear God say, hey, trust me. I've got this. I've got this. And when Joseph was sold... And not long after that, really, in history, pretty soon Jacob and his sons ran out of food, and things were desperate, and there was a drought, and they didn't even know Joseph was alive, and certainly didn't know anything about Egypt, and what's going to happen, and God says, I've got this. 400 years later, another pharaoh considered Jacob and Joseph's descendants to be basically slave labor, huh? And not long after that, they looked at a Red Sea, and then they were in a land they didn't know about anymore, and, and they saw the giants, and they saw the problems, and they saw the hassles, and their courage was gone, and their wisdom, and they were out of food, and, and God said, you can hear him say, I've got this. It's part of my work. I'll take care of it. Trust in me. One of my favorite examples of that is... Um, Kings and Chronicles. For some reason, I end up reading through Kings and Chronicles almost every year. And it can be a real downer. <laughs> king after king going south. You know, after Saul, and then the kingdom split into Israel and Judah, and, and then this king went bad, and this king established idols, and, and this king worshipped the Ashtaroth poles, and, and then there was a son that did pretty good, and he restored some of the worship of God, but then his son went bad, and then that son actually sacrificed his children to idols, and on and on it went. And I look at that, and I say, good grief, what is with you guys? How, how, what could God possibly, you know, how, did, how is that going to work out? And you look at that and think, actually in my notes here, I just have the word mess 
circled in red. And you think, that's terrible. How, what's going to go on and what's going to happen? And, and God says, I've got this. During the centuries between the Testament, during the rise of the Roman Empire, God says, I've got this. The biggie for me is our text this morning. Galatians 4, chapter 4, or verse 4. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born just right of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might then become his children. And there's, a, there's various translations to that. At the set time, in the fullness of time, at just the right time, it kind of depends, but it all comes back to the same thing, that it happened and it worked. The birth, the, the life, the ministry, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus, his promise to return, it all happened just like it was supposed to because God said, I've got this. I've got it. Everything that needed to happen, happened. <sighs> you know, ministers are a little weird. All God's people said amen, right? <laughs> so put up with me for a little bit. I kind of imagine in my mind where we can set aside the whole, what do they call it, the space-time continuum, you know, just kind of get rid of that, and, and we're sitting there in a committee, and, and we're in charge of the Savior event. You are in charge of scheduling and bringing the Savior, okay? And I can see us humans, we're sitting there, we're thinking, oh, okay, so anybody have any ideas? And Joe, maybe, over in the corner, he raises his hands, and he says, you know, I'm thinking, let's bring, let's bring Jesus during the time of the Roman Empire, you and I would say, oh, Joe, Joe, we'll maybe put you in charge of refreshments, okay? <laughs> that, that's just not going to work. It's, it's secular. It is as secular as it can get about at that point, you know? It, the Jews are all in captivity. Even, even that somewhat foundation, is, it's just not going to work. And then Joe raises his hand again and says, well, I was... I was actually thinking, I kind of had in mind this carpenter and this teenager. Could be the mom and dad here. And then I kind of had this thing about a, a barn. They would travel, you know, a number of days journey, and then there wouldn't be any room, and so they'd, they'd have the Savior in this kind of this animal place, sometimes attached to a house or not. And oh, We would look at Joe and say, yeah, Joe, you're in charge of refreshments. That, that's not going to work. We're, we're going to wait, Joe, because they're going to they're invent a printing press, and then they're going to invent books, and then they're going to invent electricity, and, and then we're going to have a TV and computers, and, and communication is going to be amazing, and travel is going to be outstanding, and we can promote this event, and, and we'll be able to afford a palace of some kind, and we're going to make this all work like it's supposed to, Joe, not like you had in mind. Except, God said, but when the set time had fully come, at just the right time, because he had it, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. The right time, the right place, the right people, the right way, so much so 
that you and I are sitting here together, what is it, about uh, the 18th of July, 2021, as believers in Jesus. 2,000 some years later, that worked out so right, so like God intended, like he meant it to do that, that you and I are sitting here saved by faith in that baby in Jesus Christ. The future of the world, the church, again, I remind you, I don't know. Again, I remind you, God absolutely does. God says, hey, like throughout all history, I've got this. I know what's going to happen. I am still in charge. Your future, my future, our kids, our grandkids, the church that has been here for that 2,000 years with a lot of changes, but is still here and is still effective. I work out all things together for the good, he says. He says, I've got this. What do we need to do? We need to work. We need to serve. We need to obey. We need to struggle. We need to struggle. We need to pray. That's, uh, if you saw your bulletins, it said the word Nehemiah as part of our text. And I kind of did that to scare you into thinking I was going to read the whole book. But Now, actually, I did it because Nehemiah was in a mess, too. A hundred years after they went off into captivity, I think by then it was the Persians. Artaxerxes was the king, and, and Nehemiah felt a call to go back to Jerusalem with Ezra and rebuild the wall and the temple. And he didn't have the means. He didn't know if the king would let him. He didn't know what to do. He needed help and he needed protection and he needed all that stuff. And, and so he did it. He did his part like, like you and I need to do. We need to, how did I say it a moment ago? We need to work. We need to serve. We need to struggle. We need to pray. We need to trust because... The God who had it all in England, he's got this. The church, the world, you and me, when we understand and when we don't, when we agree and when we don't, because we don't always agree with that, what he's doing. Even in those times, God still says, and he's shown throughout all of history, I've got this. Make sure you hear him, Okay. Make sure that you and I, in our, in our toughest moments, whether it's in our home, in our marriage, in our society, in our culture, in our church, wherever it is, God still says, trust in me. I've got this. Amen. Let's pray a moment. Again, Lord God, thank you. We're, we're, we're busy people. and uh, Lord, we're not going to list all of our weaknesses. That would take too long. But you love us. You are our God. You have shown it throughout all of history in the worst that humans can do. And Lord God, you keep your plan. You keep redeeming people. You have brought your Savior. You've made it work. And, and we are sitting here as people who have received that salvation by grace through faith alone. And Father God, we thank you for that. Help us to live that way. Help us to be the examples and the verbal teachers of that to our children and grandchildren. And, and Lord God, through all of that, help us to trust in you and to wait on you. 
And we give you the thanks and the praise as we look toward eternity and Jesus' return. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.